It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Patricia Adams Live tonight. This is day five, leading up to 10 days before Father's Day. And as I sat down to plan out the rest of the shows for the next five days leading up to Father's Day, I found that the 10th day will be June 19th. That was not intentional. That was not planned. It worked out that way and I believe it worked out way out that way for a reason. I'm still digging, still searching, still going along on this journey. And a lot to think about. A lot to think about, a lot going on in this particular time in history things that are being done, things that are being said, things that are not being said, issues that need to be addressed, that have not been addressed, different sides, taking sides, different people doing different things, some being covert, some being overt, some with ulterior motives, some not so sure about. But the one thing that I have always been able to count on, and that is hope. I can always count on hope. And hope helps me to persevere. Hope helps me to maintain. Hope helps me to look for a deeper meaning the truth, 
Because if you go off of what you see just by instinct, hope becomes deferred, and then you become hopeless, and then you enter into despair. And when you enter into despair, you become desperate. And desperate people do desperate things. And as we are approaching Father's Day, I say to the men, let's not become desperate. Desperate times, yes, we are in desperate times, but let's not become desperate. Desperation has a totally different bend to it. I don't know who behind all of this, but it's not just one person behind all of this. And we have to look a little bit deeper. We have to look a little bit higher. We have to look a little bit lower. We have to flip the script and look on the other side of the page for things that don't appear immediately to the natural eye. And because of that, there's someone, some things, some people, somewhere pulling and orchestrating. And the response that's getting in the way of what is truly, truly needed is diverting us away from the task at hand. We have so many things coming up, political things, economic things coming up that we have become distracted from. And in the course of this, all I I can say right now is that fathers, brothers, friends, uncles, sons, grandfathers, friends who are male, we need you to survive. Father's Day is a man-made holiday, and it gained popularity in 1972 in juxtaposition to Mother's Day. Mother's Day was here before Father's Day, and the men did not have that same level of, I don't know what you want to call it, notoriety, but publicity of honoring good men who are fathering their children, somebody else's children, the neighbor's children, and stepping in and making a difference in the community, the nation, and the world. This is a broader picture right now. This thing that's moving and shaking and and shattering lives has no visible head, and a father is a visible head. What we are dealing with is 
a hidden head, if you would, a a head that does not want to be identified. And because of that, this is Ichibod, Ichibod, I-C-H-A-B-O-D. And there's a story talking about the headless horseman, Ichibod, Ichibod, Ichibod crane, to be precise. But Ichibod is a term for headless authority. There's, there's no one that you can point to who is in control, but somebody is in control of a body that is riding a horse wildly through the streets. Somebody is controlling that. So if your body is that you have no authority, you have no headship, you have no one over you, you just simply are running wild on a horse through the city. That's what the media is seeing and capturing. But behind the scenes, this is not something that has no head. There is a head. There, there is a head, just not a visible head. And you can ponder it, you can think about it, but if you've ever planned or been in the military or any form of organization, there has to be a leader. And there have to be leaders that lead with the leaders, and there have to be followers that are willing to be led by the leaders, and there has to be other followers who are willing to support the followers who are following the leaders who are leading. And I know that sounds like something that I just contrived, but I'm I'm rolling into this episode by simply saying this, is that this has the appearance, appearance of being a bastardized dilemma, a father less dilemma, a lack of direction and leadership agenda, but that's what it appears, but that's not what it is. It's a distraction that's costing lives, that's costing uh, resources, lives, being lost, lives being incarcerated is costing something far greater. I've been hearing about men, black men in particular, for a while who have been missing for the first time. This surfaced in my search for something else, an article Several articles stated 2015. Once in 2015, it was reported by the New York Post, 1.5 million black men were missing across the country, and no one has brought national attention to that. I've heard people talking randomly about it, but it seems so far-fetched and so unreal. But to see someone has been reporting on this, but it has gone underreported, unrecognized. So I 
started posting that 2015 article up on my social media, well, it's 1.5 million people. We round that up to 2 million. In 2020, it could be greater than that. I have not fully dug into this article, but I'm just simply saying. So I have looked at some other things, and it's like if someone dies homeless on the street, their body's picked up, if they are not identified or claimed, there's, a, um, I think, a record number of bodies that are either incinerated or somebody's are donated to science, um, organs are harvested, just 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 different things, body parts, all, all these different things, Frankenstein type stuff. Um, and if you think about that, I mean there there are plenty of black men sleeping in homeless states. Doesn't mean that they are worthless people. There's some very educated, homeless people, intelligent, homeless people. There are some very dynamic, homeless people who have become homeless through various sets of circumstances, some who have checked out on reality because reality was too hard to face. I speak to those of you who are facing reality right now but it's not really reality, it's an illusion of reality. And the reality of the illusion is very, very desperate, very dark. So I, I, I want you to think that there are parallel worlds running side by side, orchestrated some by men, orchestrated some by men who have evil agendas, but nevertheless, there are parallel realities running side by side. One is a lie and the other is the truth. And the lie is covering the truth. And the truth is hideous. And But the illusion gives the appearance of all is well. So you, you're seeing this on an individual level, you're seeing this on a national level, you're seeing this on a local level, you're seeing this on a global level, that we have been operating in parallel realities where we have convinced ourselves that all is well, all is well, all is well, when in reality we've only been lulled into a state of falseness, a state of this is the world that I've created for you and this is the world that you will live in and this is the world that you will continue to live in as long as I can control what you see, what you hear, what you know. So all of the gates that feed into the mind, the eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, what you what you the, the senses, what you touch, what you feel. 
all of these things as long as someone else who has a diabolical plan for your future, for your life, is controlling those things and feeding you things that would cause you to believe that this is real when the reality is is that it's just an illusion. It's happening on a one-on-one level. It's happening on a group level. It's happening on a community level. It's happening on a local level. It's happening on a municipal level. It's happening on a national level. It's happening on an international level. How much of what we see is what really is. We consume the news, we consume TV, we consume movies, we consume whatever form of entertainment there is, and it creates an illusion of the state of affairs, the state of the union. It creates an illusion for us. And I remember before the election, after President Barack Obama term ended and people were standing out and talking and it was disheartening to hear people say, well, I'm all for wealth as long as it's coming into my hands and into my community. It's when it's taken away from me to give to another community that I take issues with that. So there's that economic disparity. There is a gentleman out of South Africa that painted a picture for me. Or I, I could say is that I had this thought in my mind, but what he did gave me the evidence of what was in my mind. It was like I was thinking these things, but I had no no tangible proof to connect what I was thinking. So therefore, it was just a thought in my head. But one day I was searching on, I believe, the term disparity. And this presentation popped up, and this gentleman was presenting on a large screen, projector-type screen, but it was like a movie-sized screen, And he was showing his findings, and his findings was that he had learned how to fly a drone, and he decided to fly the drone over the city. And what he found were on one side of the city were these lush greens and and these spacious neighborhoods with houses, large houses of land around them, and then a wall between this community and the community on the other side of the wall had no grass, had no grass. It was just dirt, and it had shanties with aluminum um, metal structures just stacked, 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 narrow paths to walk through, and people were living in this huddled, huddled dirt, ridden neighborhoods, some with shoes, some without shoes, some with clothing, some 
half clothed children digging in the garbage, trying to salvage somebody else's garbage. And this was South Africa. So he decided that if this was South Africa, let me travel and take my drone to other areas. And he collected a lot of different images from a lot of different countries, and the images were the same, disparity, 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 people uh, pushed off, isolated, and living in squalor while on the other side of the track or the other side of the fence there was luxury. There was the Bel Air life and the color of the skin were the same on both sides of the wall, the fence, the path. So you have men on both sides of this fence. On one side of the fence, you have a man who's provided this luscious green lawn for his family. And on the other side, you have this man who's provided this tin shanty of for his family, and they're all living in this one confined space with a metal wall between them and the neighbor next door and tattered curtains blowing in the wind. And this man comes and he goes to work the lush ground of the man on the other side of the wall or his wife goes to work there. He's a father just like the man with the lush lawn is a father, but there's disparity. Is that disparity there because of a lack of education or a lack of motivation or a lack of uh, get up and go? Or has the one succumbed to the reality that's been painted for them, that this is all you deserve, this is all you're going to ever have, this is all you're going to ever get, when in reality everything on the other side of the fence belongs to them before it belongs to the one who relegated them to the other side of the fence. So come to the Metroplex, DFW Metroplex, and you see this disparity and this inequity, this inequality, and as long as it's not happening in your backyard, it's all good. This is your world, this is your bubble, and you live in it, and no one else except for people like yourself belong in this bubble, and there's no room for you to acquiesce to anything, anybody about it. I remember being in my 20s and I was riding the bus um, in a very wealthy neighborhood And on the bus with me were a lot of women older than me, maybe twice my age, some a little bit older than that, 
and they were dressed in uniforms. And I was curious about them, and they were curious about me. And the bus was full. And I had on the next stop a lady that came, and she sat next to me because I had a spot next to me. And she said, so whose house do you clean? And that was when I realized that I was riding the bus with the maid who cleaned houses in the neighborhood. And I was not dressed in a maid's uniform. I was dressed in ordinary clothes. And she said, whose house do you clean? And I said, sometimes I clean my own and sometimes I just let it ride. I don't clean anybody's house but my own. She said, oh, so where are you from? And I said, from here, and this was a neighborhood. And I told her, I said, I live in this neighborhood. She said, you live in this neighborhood? I I didn't know that we could live over here. And I said, ma'am, you can live anywhere you can afford to live. And she sat there and she looked at me and she got quiet. And I was preparing to get off the bus at the next stop. And I got off the bus at my stop and I watched this woman watch me walk to where I live. And I looked back at the bus and I thought, these people were having a parallel experience. They had a different reality than what I had. It wasn't something that was different to me and the fact that I grew up in a home where the women or the woman of the house cleaned houses for wealthy people. The man of the house labored in the yard of the wealthy people and in the businesses of the wealthy people. And so basically, I saw that. I saw that as a young girl. And I determined in myself that this was not my story. This was their story, but it was not going to be my story, that I would never, ever, ever, ever have to do what they were doing. That was a decision that I made at a very young age. I'm like seven, eight, nine, ten years old, that this will never be me. I will never do this. I will never do this. Um, as my profession. I will never do this as my profession. And I I don't know how I had the presence of mind or the consciousness to make that determination at that age, but then it was like whenever the movie The Help came out, and I remember watching Gone with the Wind as well, but I remember it was like when the movie The Help came out that I actually saw myself as a little girl, kind of reliving what these maids in Mississippi had gone through. 
and I had had a similar experience like that as a little girl is that I had come to the front door of the house where we were there to clean the house and I could hear the woman in the house of the house saying how dare she come up on my front porch how dare she didn't tell her that she needed to come to the back door so I hear scrambling and out the back door and around the side and I'm still standing knocking on the front door waiting to be let in and I'm snatched out the front porch and chastised for being at the front door didn't you know not to do that I was like well you hadn't told me that and so because of that that lady did not like me and she was a wife of a very wealthy person in the community who still, their family still controls a lot of the community. And I find it fascinating that they ascended to the height that they have in the community of businesses of ownership and their father was present, but they were estranged from the father whose name they bore. But they had so much land that she was able to build a separate house on land and live in that house while the wife lived on separate land on next to him with so much land between them and another house and all along that property, there were quarters and there were other houses that were built for people who worked um, within that community. And you could just drive into the compound of that property and see the main house and see all of the other uh, smaller houses that belonged to people who worked for them or worked for other people in the community. And I, and I still remember that. And this father was estranged, but he left this family a great deal of wealth. And he was estranged for a reason, because he had been a bad father, and he had been um, abusing his family and his children. But he was a wealthy man, and there was not going to be a divorce because this all needed to pass to his progenitors, the land, the money, all of it, and they are still still wealthy today and own quite a bit of land and property and businesses and all that. And so they don't know me. <laughs> I was a little girl, but I still remember them. And all I can say is is that the difference between the father that I had and the father that they had was the father that I grew up with was not my biological father. And he was not uh, very articulate. Uh, He didn't talk a lot. He wasn't uh, emotionally engaged. He was not... um, physically engaged. He would make me the homemade toys. I remember him making me a toy wooden gun and cutting up inner tubing 
and um, making the gun like a slingshot for me. And he would just do little things like that and give them to me, and he would show me how to use it. Not when he, without really talking to me, he would just show me how to do something, and then he would be done with me. And then he was, um, he was a veteran. He served in the war, and so he was a disabled veteran, and he just basically worked for these wealthy families doing odds and ends jobs. I, I, I don't know what you want to call it, handyman type um, jobs, um, just whatever. And the wife, the same thing. Uh, she was not an educated woman. She was not an articulate type woman. She dressed very well. Uh, very, and when I say very well, I mean that in the in the highest sense. She was like a fashionista type person. She loved to shop at you know fine shops in silk stockings and 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 silk and satin dresses. And I mean, she loved to dress up. Loved to dress up. And um, gloves. She loved to wear matching. I mean, I, we would go and she would have me buy rich dye. And we would boil hot water and rinse, and dot. She would buy this batch of white gloves, and she would dye the gloves to every color of outfit that she had. So her gloves matched her handbags, matched her shoes, matched her um, attire, and that's how she was. And for me, being in the house with the two of them, my comfort was in books. There was like a, what I considered a large library of books in the den, and I would climb on the bookshelf and pull down books and read books, and that's what I did. I read. I read a lot, um, and but I didn't have that father in the home that was communicating my value, my worth, um, anything to me. And I didn't have that mother that was communicating my value, my worth, uh, nurturing me, or any of that. And so I'm saying this because we've got five days until Father's Day. Mother's Day has passed. And I said, you know, I don't want you to be in bondage to Mother's Day or Father's Day because you didn't get what you thought you should have gotten from who you thought you should have gotten it from. Mother's Day and Father's Day is about economics. It's a commercial holiday meant to boost the economy. I'm saying to you, boost yourself. Take the time to heal yourself. Take the time to forgive. Didn't say forget. Take the time to forgive things that have been done to you by a father who was not present physically, emotionally, financially, but maybe passed through for whatever reason. Take the time to heal from the wounding of what you didn't get, what you didn't have, what you wish you had, and all of that. Because I remember the parallel of riding in the panel truck to go and work the house of this wealthy family and he then going to 
the man's side of the property to work what he wanted to work. And he had, like, his office separate from his, separate from his, um, his housing. And in his office, there was this old typewriter. And it's the one, you know, you punched on and your fingers went sliding through that or whatever. So for me, that was what I would do. I would run into his office for as long as I could because they would gather the, uh, my, my, my adopted family, my mother, my father would gather with this wealthy man and he would give them directions and instructions on what he needed done on his property and what his wife needed done on her property. So for that brief time, I would go into the office and I would peck, 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 peck away, peck, 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 peck away at the typewriter and just peck, 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 peck away at the typewriter. And I would just be going as fast as I could because I knew that any minute now they were going to come and get me and I was going to go with her and get dropped off to do the work at the house, and he was going to go back to the man and do the work that he needed at his property. Well, I remember on one occasion, I don't know what I did, what I said, or whatever, but I upset my adoptive father. And this was a panel truck, and I was riding. I loved to ride in the back of the truck. You know, it was like just a single seat, bench seat truck. And so I would sit in the middle, but I didn't like sitting between him and her because he had this stick shift that was in the floor. And every time he would shift, the stick would hit me. And I don't know if it was intentional or whatever, but it, it was uncomfortable to be there. So I wanted to ride in the back of the truck between properties. Right, so it was like you come out of the driveway from her side of the property and go maybe say a block up and come into the driveway of his property and go down this long gravel road all the way around to where his house and his office was. And this one particular day, we were leaving his property to go to her property. And he didn't latch both sides of the panel because this was like a panel truck. When I say a panel truck, it had the, the back lid that you let down and then you put the hook, the chain hook in it to hold the lid, you know, up at that height of the truck bed. Well, he did not latch it. And I was riding on the lid, if you would, the lip or the lid or whatever you want to call it, of the bed of the truck that let down and it gave way while I was riding on it and I went flipping off the truck but as I was flipping off the truck I saw his eyes in the rearview mirror and they looked at me as if he wished that I were dead and that's when I knew that he had intentionally left those two lashes off And as I was flipped backwards, I was being dragged. And the gravel was grinding against my skin. And I remember this. I'm a little girl, probably seven, eight, 
and my legs are going left to right by the tires. So I can see that my legs are almost about to get ran over. Like as he's going, we're hitting bumps, and then my legs would go to the other way. Then my legs would go to the other way. And then all of a sudden I had this thought, I'm going to get crushed. I'm going to die. And I said to myself, I mean, I'm telling you this, I was seven or eight years old, and I said, I'm going to die. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And I heard this voice say, let go. Let go. And I thought, if I let go, I'm going to get sucked under the truck, and he's going to drag me forward and run over me. And I kept hearing this voice say, let go, and it was at the very moment the last time that I heard let go, that with the let go, it was like let go and tuck and roll like a June bug. And I used to play with June bugs when I was a little girl. And the June bugs that I'm talking about are like the centipede uh, beetle-looking things that if you catch them and you stick the stick in their legs, they curl up and then they close up like a little um, shell (laughs) to protect themselves. And that's what I did. I let go. My hands were getting tired of holding on to the lip of the lid. And I let go, and I tucked and I rolled. And when I tucked and I rolled, I rolled and I rolled and I rolled and I rolled. And then I remember blacking out. And when I came to, I looked around and no one else had come from behind, thank God, to run over me or anything. And I got up and I remember I was staggering, I was dizzy, and it was like I was having an out-of-body experience. So I walked through the rest of the way and I walked on the side of the road and people were honking their horns at me or whatever. So I don't know what I looked like. And I walked and I walked and I walked and it seemed like I was walking in space. And I walked until I got to the property of the woman and I could hear them. They had not even realized that I was missing. That was the weirdest thing. It's like, you didn't even know that I was gone. And finally, when they decided to come out and look in the truck, because I guess they thought that I had fallen asleep in the back of the truck, right, my adopted mother came out running, looking, and as she was coming out running to look in the truck, she saw me coming up the road, and I was just like, you know, I was just like, I guess, staggering or whatever, and she ran and she grabbed me. And she looked at me, and she put me in a truck, and she ran and grabbed him. And then I remember being rushed to the emergency room. And I laid uh, in the emergency room of the hospital, actually in the hallway. I mean, I don't know why I was in a bed in the hallway. I I don't know if it was crowded or this was like a, a racial thing because this was like the 60s. And so I was laying in the hallway and uh, she was standing there, and she seemed to be like she was genuinely concerned, which I had never seen that out of her before, uh, for my well-being, but I could hear the nurses uh, saying things in the background, and, and I remember 
um, seems like somebody was contemplating what to do with me and about me. And I remember them um, doing different tests and stuff on me, and I think I blacked out again. And so by the next time that I remember coming to consciousness, I was back at our place where we lived, and I was in the bed, and I just, you know, don't remember my recovery. I don't remember uh, what diagnosis they gave or anything I know that um, I had nothing broken because I, I didn't have any cast or anything like that on me, but I believe that I did have like a concussion or something like that. And so I don't know how long, uh, I think this was during the summer, so I don't think I was in school, but I just remember thinking, you know, he meant to kill me. And that's not what a child should be thinking about a father figure. And I could not understand, you know, why he did that or why he had such hatred towards me, why he didn't like me. Um, so it was on again, off again. He just, he was just not there. I mean, he was physically there, but he was not there. He, he and, and one other time that he came to uh, uh, try to, I believe, protect me was when I was getting beat by her by my adopted mother, and I, I mean not a whipping, but I was getting beat. The neighbors were screaming out because they could hear my screams from the streets. They were screaming out to her to stop beating me, and he came running, and she turned on him and beat him, and he ran out crying, and that was the last time that he ever stood up to her to try to protect me. So I, I'm, I'm saying this because It doesn't matter anymore. And I don't know if you can hear that in my voice or not, but it just doesn't matter anymore. I have the memory, but I don't have the hatred. I don't have the bitterness or the resentment or the pain of that. I could dwell on that. I could hash it up and and go backwards on that, but I'm over that. I'm over that. It it happened. It's done. And I'm saying that, for Mother's Day and Father's Day going to get cards or to say Mother's or Father's Day greetings for me were not the same as someone who's had a mother and a father who was nurturing, providing, caring, and guiding and protecting me from harm because the harm that was coming to me was coming from my own house. So how do you navigate that? And that's why I say, you know, you can't allow yourself to get trapped into the commercialization of a holiday that's meant to benefit the economy. It's not meant to be anything that is going to help you get over what you didn't get or what you thought you should have had. I can tell you stories and stories and stories, but... We have five days before Father's Day, and out of this 10-day journey that I'm on with you, and all I can say to you is is that look at what's going on in the world today. We have bigger issues, and we need to be engaged. We don't need to be in despair. We don't need to become desperate. We don't need to have a woe is me pity party, we need you to be clear. 
We need you to be present. We need your clarity of mind, your presence of forethought. We need you to survive. This is not the time to exact a pound of flesh for what you didn't get, for the job you didn't get, for who passed over you, what promotion you didn't get, the love you didn't get from your father, the love you didn't get from your mother, the love you still haven't gotten from your mother, the love you still haven't gotten from your father, the love that you may never get from your father, the love you may never get from your mother. But this one thing is real, is that you are alive for a reason. You are existing for a reason. You were allowed to be born amidst a sea of other sperm and eggs that did not make the cut. So you made the cut. You're here for a reason. Find it out. Find out your purpose. Find out your identity. It is not for someone else to lead and guide you into a path of destruction, of self-destruction, of self-sabotage because you didn't get something from somebody who should have given it to you, be it your father or another father figure or your employer, your boss, whoever has looked over you, walked over you, passed over you, neglected you, rejected you. Get up from here. Get up from this place. You've gone around this mountain long enough. You felt sorry for yourself long enough. Killing yourself and killing somebody else is not the answer. It's not an option. It's not an option. We've got 5.5 to 2 million black men missing in America. We need you to survive. There's a bigger issue at hand. Someone is orchestrating this. You must not become the puppet of the puppet master. You've been the puppet long enough. It's time, Geppetto, to cut the strings. It's time, Pinocchio, to stop the lies. It's time to be a real boy, to be a real man, to be a real father. Not on Father's Day, but every day. The Bible tells us to honor our mothers and our fathers not talking about people who push you out. Anybody can give birth. A dog gives birth. Anybody can give birth. Anybody can plant a seed in a woman. But to be a mother and to be a father is on a different level, a different level. And I want to thank you for fathering children that weren't yours. I want to thank you for fathering your own children. I want to thank you for standing up for somebody else's children. But most of all, I'm asking you to stand up for yourself. Stand up for yourself. I really, I don't know if these are fireside chats or what, but I'm doing what it is that I feel I need to do in this situation and in this conversation. But what I find amazing is is that when I was asked to do this program 10 days leading up to Father's Day, did not see that it was going to be leading into Juneteenth. I don't know what I'm going to say or what I'm going to do on tomorrow. But on tomorrow, I, I, 
I really wanted to have guests on the show. I really wanted to talk to other people, but it seems like this is supposed to be about me talking to you. So that's what I'm going to do until I'm told differently. But right now, this has been Patricia Adams Live, and we talk about difficult times, how to overcome difficult times. We talk about difficult topics, things that aren't talked about in the four walls of the church or the four walls of polite society. We talk about that, and we talk about the effect that it's had on you and on us and we and how we move past that so that we can not just survive it but overcome it and thrive in spite of it. There are some dark days ahead, but together we can make it. We can overcome this because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. I believe in God. I'm past wanting or caring what you believe. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I wish you nothing but the best. I hope you wish it for yourself, but I hope above all else that you give it to yourself. Give to yourself better than what you're giving to yourself. Give better to your children than what's being given to them. Give better to you than what's being given to you because better was given to you. You should give better to yourself and better to your children and your children's children. We're counting on you. We're depending on you. We need you to survive. With all of my love and admiration for you, who you are now, who you shall be, who you are becoming, and what you shall be and what you shall become. I wish you well, my brother, my sister, my friends, my sons, my daughters, my community. I wish you well. Let us rise up and do better. Destruction does not bring anything to the table. Are there some people who deserve that? Yes, but that's not your place. So we seek justice. We seek justice. And we keep seeking justice. Justice. Be blind. Justice. And judgment. And peace. And hope and love and joy this is Patricia Adams Live on Patricia Adams Live 10 days leading up to Father's Day this is day 5 that we are wrapping up and as always my favorite song Eric Clapton if we could change the world I will close out with that. Bet you do.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.